Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. I'm Charles, and I'm with my good friend, Joe. Good afternoon, Charles. Joe, it's a weird one because there were two close games that we had this weekend in terms of billings, in terms of expectations of the matches that we were going to get. I think a lot of people could have seen either team progressing. So it's not like we're we're looking at any major upsets here. But I think in terms of the way that the games did go down, there were potentially some surprises and some unfortunate circumstances, shall we say. Yeah, so... I think it's really, really unfortunate how the Eagles 49ers game went, and we'll discuss that in a bit more detail in just a moment. But for Brock Purdy to get that injury at the start, for Johnson, who came on to also get an injury, so at one point they were basically playing Christian McCaffrey at quarterback. I mean, championship games are won and lost in the margins, and when you have disruption as bad as that, it's extremely, extremely hard to do anything about it. So... Yeah, a, a bit of a shame. If that was a Thursday night game in mid-season, I'd have probably have turned off and gone to bed. Then, you know, we had a barnstormer in terms of the Chiefs-Bengals game. You know, maybe not as high scoring as some people would have wanted, but a very, very close game. I don't disagree with the decision how it ended at all. It, it was a penalty, but it felt a little bit of a damp squib for the game to end that kind of way. But we'll get more into that, Charles. But yeah... You know, championship field was always great. There's always talking points, but perhaps not the all-time classics we would have hoped for at the weekend. I agree with you. That was obviously a clear penalty, but I think there was a lot of dubious refing moments in that game, which sort of tarnished it slightly. Both of the games, I came away after watching them going, ah, oh, I wanted so much more from both of them. And for them to end that the way that they did, it just felt like such a disappointment, especially after we had such an amazing wildcard round full of absolute drama and, and some fantastic play. This one felt slightly disappointing. We've now got a very beaten up Kansas team going up uh, against an Eagles team that's that's on the up. So, you know... Firing all cylinders, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we'll get a decent Super Bowl because, you know, even when we had news that Mahomes was knocked up with his ankle and we had Kelsey getting back spasms, I mean, neither of them seemed to be anything less than 100% on the field uh, at the weekend. So... Let's wait and see. But look, let's start with the NFC Conference game. Let's talk about that Purdy injury. Before we go into it in too much detail, I think the one thing that you have to give credit for, anyone that was questioning Purdy's toughness, a guy that tears his UCL within like the first three snaps of the game and is still on the field at the end of the game when it's pretty much out of reach, that's a tough player. You can't knock his commitment in this game at all. Yeah, now I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor. And if I said that I knew much about the UCL before this week's injury, I'd be lying. It seems like there's a new different CL every week, ACL, MCL, UCL, who knows what's next. <laughs> but look, um, when I saw the injury happen in slow-mo, I thought first of all that he'd perhaps fractured his forearm. That's that's what it looked like first of all. But whatever it was, a, a cruciate ligament injury is going to be something that's extremely painful not just painful but you can hardly operate when you don't have those ligaments doing what they should be doing so for him to get back on the field and at least pretend to play quarterback it was brave of him but it's what you'd probably expect from your leader as a quarterback so he definitely passed that test when he went down the game was over at that point it was over as a contest this Eagles team were 100% they were fired up and 
just to go back to the injury trials, I want to know how much do you think should be put on the door of Kyle Shanahan and how much he has to blame. Harson Reddick was destructive. The Eagles' D-line was destructive. There are a lot of parallels you can draw between this Eagles team and the one that won Super Bowl five years ago. This is a team that's built in the trenches. The O-line and D-line are the two strongest platoons in this whole team. And the D-line just showed everything it was about on a Sunday evening. Now, when you have a player like Harson Reddick on the field... The injury that happened to Brock Purdy, he was basically covered by, I think it was a second string tight end. And then there was another sack that Johnson took that led to the concussion where he was covered by, I think it was a wide receiver. If you put in second string tight ends and wide receivers against a player like Harson Reddick, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, and you know, this comes back to the question around even if Purdy hadn't got injured, would it have made much of a difference to this game? And I think the answer to that has to be no because of that. Because you saw that regardless of who was in the pocket, the Eagles' defence were getting to them at will because the the protection wasn't there. And I, yeah, I do think you have to look at Shanahan's playmaking decisions there and personnel decisions and say you know you're going up against the best defense in the NFL why did you think that was a smart idea I mean surely the play from the beginning had to be protect the pocket because you know even you and I were saying it last week it's all going to come down to if they can get at Purdy you knew the Eagles were going to come out strong in the defense shoring up that O-line should have been priority number one and it seemed to be overlooked from the start do you know that the Eagles have the third most team sacks in a single season in NFL history the third most team sacks of any team in in NFL history and I don't really think it's getting talked about like when people talk about this Eagles team they talk about what Jalen Hurts brings absolute fairly not disagreeing with that at all they talk about you know the strength of their run game we've talked about the strength of the Lions but that D-line has the third most sacks of NFL history the only two teams to have done more sacks in a single season were the 84 and 85 Bears if they get five sacks in Super Bowl which the way players like Reddick and Brandon Graham were playing I would not write off they will have the most sacks as a team in NFL history You're absolutely right, Charles. They bought it on defense. But just the flip side of what difference Purdy would have made, the strength of San Fran has been their defense as well. Now, which uh, we we can talk about sacks, we can talk about points per game. There's lots of different defensive uh, stats. The top of those stats tables are either the Eagles or 49ers, depending on which stat you look at. So it's a toss-up really between these two teams who were the best defense. The Eagles put 31 points on this San Fran defense. Now, I know that Fred Warner was injured enough for a few plays. I know that Nick Bosa got caught up uh, when he was off the field. I know a couple of things like that happened. But, you know, for most of that game, for 45 minutes, you had first-team San Francisco 49 players out there, and they gave up 31 points against this Eagles team. And they were unstoppable. So even if Purdy was healthy, even if he was on for the full 60 minutes, I think he would have struggled to get 32 points against this Eagles team. 100%. Totally agree. I mean, this was one of the best Eagles performances that I've seen this season against. And I know, again, people are going to say, oh, well, they had like their fourth string quarterback out there. And then at one point, Christian McCaffrey was lining up to take snaps. I understand that. But they were totally confident in running the offense and playing exactly the game that they wanted to play didn't matter if they were running passing they had it 
any which way they wanted. And then on the flip side, they were getting to the quarterbacks at will. So they had both sides of the game absolutely locked down. And I think they are going to be a very strong challenge against what looks to be a very strong Kansas City team. What's scary about this Eagles team is they've got so much talent across every unit of a defense that they can be so flexible with their plays. If they only want to put, say, four men rushing, players like Reddick and Graham are so effective and so devastating this season that they can get to the quarterback with only four men rushing and leave the other seven defensive men out there to just, you know, cover and lock down. On the flip side, if they want to rush seven, you've got players like Bradbury and Slay who have almost been locked down in terms of being corners this season. So this defense just has so many options available to them. This Eagles team, I think, is extremely, extremely strong. And I've not seen the odds. We're still 10 days out from Super Bowl. I've not seen the odds. But I would expect probably the Eagles to be going into Super Bowl a couple of points favorites. We'll be previewing Super Bowl next week. Just before we move on from the NFC Conference game, Charles, what's your view on how this Purdy injury impacts the 49ers offseason? Now, we've touched before about the choices they have to make there with Purdy, Lance, Garoppolo, and potentially wild cards like Rodgers. What do you think happens now? It's so unfortunate. I'm starting to feel a bit sorry for the 49ers because I feel like at least once a season we have this conversation where we go, oh, they've got a real headache to solve here. You know, to begin with, we were like when uh, Lance went down last season, I think it was, and Garoppolo came in and we were like, oh, you know what? What happens if Garoppolo plays well? It Does that provide them with a headache? And then, oh, it's never ending. I think they've got another headache on their hands here. We said last week that Purdy was almost guaranteed the starting spot for next season based on the way he's performed. But now that he's had a major injury to his throwing arm, what does that do? And will he be ready for the start next season? But uh, you've got to think you can't let Lance go now, surely, with this happening to Purdy. Because if he's not 100%, and you've let Lance go after you've already mortgaged the farm for him, well, then what kind of position are you in? So I think you've got to keep Lance around, but it's going to be a weird, weird locker room. Yeah, and it still boils down to the fact that I think that Lance has very little value compared to what they paid for him at this point now. He's an absolute mystery box, and you're not going to get three first-round picks for a mystery box. Now, Lance could be that player. He could be worth three for first-round picks. He could develop into that and be you know, a Michael Vick-esque, Jalen Hurts-esque player. That's who he could become. He could also be garbage. But I I think it's going to take a very brave team to take that risk on him and give anywhere near the compensation that the 49ers put up for him. I think they trade in preseason, which wouldn't be a good idea now with the Purdy injury. Not because Purdy won't come back 100%, just because there's that doubt and uncertainty and you need the cover. If they try to get rid of him now, I think the absolute best you could probably get would be a late first rounder, a second round pick at best. You're not getting more than one single first round pick for him. So best case is he stays on, proves himself, proves that he is at that level. But then it gets complicated because then do you really want to get rid of him? If he is that good then. So extremely, extremely interesting to see what happens with his 49ers. Let's move on anyway now, Charles, to a much closer game, the AFC Conference game. Now, as you touched on previously, there's a lot to talk about in terms of umpiring calls, refs' decisions. I I, I don't want to get into ins and outs of everything. But I've seen a lot of chat on Twitter and a lot of fans saying that the penalty that Patrick Mahomes basically won at the end through unnecessary roughness from a Joseph Asai tackle uh, when they were clearly out of bounds. A lot of fans have been saying that had that been a different team or had that happened at a different point in the game, it wouldn't have been called. 
Now, I, I strongly disagree with that, Charles, but is there any way you can argue? Completely disagree. No, I don't think there is. No. You, you, can't, you absolutely can't. Listen, he was clearly making his way out of bounds. The direction in which he was running, he was going out of bounds. There was a player directly in front of him covering him in that scenario. So there was no need for the kind of sideways spear taking him once he'd already left. He had both feet in the white paint. There was zero exception for what went down there. It it was a true moment of madness. It was absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, roughing the passer. And it... I think every single member of that Bengals team have a reason to have serious grievance with him and be bashing heads after the game saying, what the hell were you thinking? He wasn't going anywhere. Why stick that tackle in? Look, Charles, I agree on the point that it was clearly a penalty. I agree that the Chiefs should have got 15 yards, but I think there's a couple of mitigating circumstances here. The mitigating circumstance I just want to put is that in full time, the way Patrick Mahomes was running down that sideline, he didn't give himself up the way that quarterbacks sometimes give themselves up. He didn't raise his hands in that kind of surrendering motion that often happens when quarterbacks go out of bounds. The angle he was running at as well, I know that Osai should have done better. I know that he made a mistake. But I don't think it's as flagrant as a lot of people are trying to make out here. And in many ways, I feel sorry for Osai. He was trying to play hard. And I think that the contact he made as well, the way that it, it it panned out, was partly because he slipped and went down that way. Had he not slipped and gone down, I'm not sure whether he would have caught Mahomes with such force or even brought Mahomes to the floor. I think if, and I can't remember who the player was, but there was another Bengals player directly in front of Holmes. I think if he wasn't there, then I'd say, yeah, absolutely, you can't take that risk. But there was nowhere for Mahomes to go. There was a player directly in front of him. You don't need to be the man that's tackling from the side. Leave it to the player in front of him. It's covered. See, what he was trying to do, though, in the defence he made afterwards was, if you run out of bounds in a forward motion, the clock stops. If you run out of bounds and you're not going forward, the clock doesn't stop. Now, had he been able to get Mahomes not going forward as he went out of bounds it could have almost iced the game then and there. Now, that was a risk that he took and probably the wrong risk. But look, there's a lot of abuse that he's been getting and uh, just look at it from a different angles and ask what you do. And I know we're not professional players, but I can understand how he made that mistake. And it's going to live with him and haunt him for the rest of his career. And, you know, if you saw the videos of players like Jermaine Pratt walking out to the locker room afterwards, I think a lot of his teammates aren't too happy with him. So he's not in a great place right now. Talking about Jermaine Pratt, though, on that play, there was holding. There was offensive holding. Derek Nandy, number 91 on the Chiefs line, was holding Jermaine Pratt. And we've seen a lot softer calls be made. So it just goes to show really where, you know, this is sports and there's still an element of the referees having perhaps more of an impact on the games than perhaps they should. Do you know what? I think this comes back to what we were talking before about refereeing, consistency, paying them during the off-season, training them up, because there's a lot of debate about this at the moment on Twitter and things like that, where they're talking about actually it wasn't holding because Brown's hands were inside the framework of the defensive end cylinder. And you still can't hold, though. You still can't hold. Well, exactly. If it's outside, then it's hooking. But you can, yes. you can still hold on the inside, and there was holding there. 
and uh, that is what I believe as well. But the fact that people are able to have such a strong debate around this just shows the kind of the obscurity of the rules, the inconsistency of how they're ref. You know for a fact that we've seen that exact play called for holding prior in the season already. It's happened. And that's, I think, where the frustration comes from. Not whether one individual thing was holding, wasn't holding. Oh, by technicality of the rule, we can say. It's the fact that it's not consistently refed the same way. I would argue that it was a hit that Burrow took in the drive before that that should have been roughing the passer. But roughing the passer is not even done consistently. And I, I just think there was a lot of inconsistent roughing in this game that so happened this time to favour the Chiefs. I don't believe in any conspiracy theories that you know the Chiefs were being deliberately favoured in these calls I just think that as we've described so many times before there's an issue with refing in this league and it leads to incompetency I don't think it's malicious intent and I'll say the other thing Joe I don't think it helps when you get to these championship games to have refing teams that that haven't refed together yeah uh, throughout the season yeah i don't yeah. think that's helpful at all yeah it's very reminiscent here and it's not something that we like to do because we don't like to do the whole annoyingly english thing of comparing american football to english football but it's like when you go to the world cup and you have all these referees from around the world who have never refereed as teams before and come from leagues with a standard is a lot weaker you always see bad refereeing in the world cup and you see this in the playoffs and the playoffs is the one place where you shouldn't see it yeah, completely agree. It feels weird. Like you've got refing teams that team together throughout the season. They start to understand each other's strengths and weaknesses or the way that they judge rules consistently or as best they can. And then suddenly you're going, oh, conference finals, let's uh, let's mix it all up and hope that they're equally consistent. That's mental. Yeah. I mean, just to wrap this comment up, Charles, you made a really good point there about just people on Twitter who feel that they have the need to wade in with an opinion when they don't know what they're talking about. Now, the laws on holding and in terms of grabbing a player are very simple. You cannot grab a player. Now, when you block, yes, you block within the frame of that player. You block within the shoulders, but your hands are open. As soon as you grip, as soon as you grab a jersey, grab a player, it's a hold. And don't let anyone on Twitter tell you any different. So then, Joe, Bengals have lost out in this scenario. What's your feeling on that? Because they've been running with some nice rookie contracts. You know, we've spoken about window last episode. What does that say for their team? How many more bites of this apple do they get before things start becoming a bit tougher for them in terms of getting back to this position year in and year out? Yeah, that's a really good question, Charles. And Long-term listeners to the show will know that we're very specific about what a window is. A window is when you have young rookie players in key expensive positions playing cheaply. And the Bengals have that right now, but it's coming to an end soon. You've got Joe Burrow on a cap here of something like $9.8 million in the 2022 season. Jamar Chase was a cap hit of $7 million, I think. Those two players between them, a top three QB in Joe Burrow. Let's be realistic about it playing at you know, less than a third of the cost of Patrick Mahomes. You've got Jamar Chase, again, arguably one of, if not the best wide receiver in the AFC. You know, the NFC is Justin Jefferson, that other LSU standout. But you've got, you know, an absolute top wide receiver there. Again, 
playing for about a third of what the cap hit is now for a top wide receiver. Like, I'm not sure of the exact ins and outs of someone like DeAndre Hopkins or Devante Adams, but they're pushing, if not pushing past 20 million. So those two players are dirt cheap and those two players will get paid. When they get paid, it takes cap space away from other positions. Now, you could make the case that the Bengals perhaps still have some players who are overpaid for the value they give to that team and they can find ways to restructure and look for cap hits elsewhere. But it's undeniable that when a team like the Chiefs has to pay someone like Patrick Mahomes, you know, a contract of 45 million a year, which this year is a cap hit of 36 million, I think it's a cap hit of 47 million next year. When you have these huge cap hits and then a team in your conference who is strong and a rival to you is paying their quarterback a lot less, it's a competitive advantage for the Bengals and a a competitive advantage which is coming to the end quite soon yeah and I think that needs calling out because I think a lot of people look at the Chiefs and they go oh well you know they've got Mahomes locked in and they've got Kelsey and it's easy for them they had to give up Hill don't forget exactly and Hill was a monster and a lot of people went oh you know in the same way when Green Bay gave up Devontae Adams they went oh you're letting Hill go you're not going to be the same team and they really had to work hard to move pieces around to remain effective without an absolute key piece like Hill and I think you only have to look at you know the rookie Pachenko running back totally different position but they changed their game slightly because we talked time and time again last season about how the lack of the run game for the Chiefs was a real issue and then with them losing a key piece like Hill that was like where are they going to go from here but they got a great find in Pachenko by the looks of it I mean he was absolutely bouncing through people at the weekend and they changed the way they play and you've got Kelsey still as a massive aerial threat because of his size and his power but they've now got a run game so they're the kind of difficult decisions that the Bengals are going to come into in the next season or two. Yeah, I think they still have maybe a year, maybe two max left from this window. You can often, you know, do signing bonuses, do other things to kind of make the front of these contracts cheaper and more expensive further down the line. But, you know, time is running out and they're going to have to find new ways and be creative to maintain the strength they have in the AFC. So, Joe, before we leave, I don't want to look too much ahead to the Super Bowl because obviously we're going to cover that next episode along with uh, a bit of a breakdown of some of the coaching changes that we've seen across the league, including Sean Payton to Denver, which is a bit of a big one at the moment. But just to give you a snippet, Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl game is going to, in the first time in his career, be playing in those Kansas City white away uniforms in the playoffs. Is he really? Is he really? Very good. And before we get on to next week's episode as well, if anyone can find a spade to dig up Joey Bosa after he was absolutely buried by the Eagles fans this weekend, uh, that would be helpful as well. Absolutely got ruined. It's painful watching, seeing those clips of him just getting absolutely mugged off. Oh, that's what you get, I'm afraid. But Joe, we've got a bit of a break this weekend, no football, so it gives us our opportunity to read around the league and gather our thoughts on all the changes that are happening. Will you be watching Pro Bowl, from... Charles? I, I, I don't know if I can bring myself to do it, Joe. It's not real football, is it? Uh, well, I don't think they're even playing football this year. The game has gone. It's all dodgeball and drills and... Um... And, f- and fun and games so I might switch it on but uh, if any listeners are expecting a big breakdown of Pro Bowl weekend we may not have that next week 
<laughs> yeah, you'll be sorely disappointed. All right then, Joe. Well, uh, enjoy and we'll catch up next week before the big game itself. See you next week, Charles.